Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard. Hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It is a little chilly in the state of Mississippi. That's all right. We've been waiting for some cooler weather. We just kind of skip fall around here. You know, it's like we get like 15 minutes of fall. I think we'll get some fall weather next week is what they're saying. You know, highs in low 70s, lows in the 50s. So maybe we'll get a little fall weather. But, uh, you know, fall is my favorite time of year, not just because our state looks so beautiful as you drive our scenic highways around the Magnolia State. But, uh, you know, I don't want to have to, like, be outside and think, man, I want to go inside. It's nice to be cool, Right. So we'll have some fall weather sooner rather than later. It is uh, what's 55 and clear right here in Stark Vegas. It's a beautiful part of the country. I love being here. I do. I tell people all the time, like even if Mississippi State packed up and left, which they want, I'd still want to be here because the people are so great. Starville is a wonderful place to be. I love living here. I do. I absolutely love living here. And it's not just because of the easy access to the ball games. I, I didn't when I moved here. It was for that reason. It's like, hey, it's work-related, and I've always wanted to really be closer to the action and sort of stuff. And my hope is is that I have uh, made good use of those opportunities and helped tell the Mississippi State story, perhaps as it's never been told before. But now that I've been here for a while and I've made some friends and uh, there are so many people, you know, that I have grown to know and love in Starkville, I just I can't imagine being anywhere else. And so when people talk negatively about Starkville, there's a part of me that I want to defend our great town and say, you know what, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. And there's a part of me too, it's like, I don't want to protest too much because I don't want them to move here. I don't want it to get too crowded. It's already tough enough on Highway 12. But the reality of it is, Starkville is a great place. Looking forward to, uh, to being here for many years to come. Now, I'll be honest with you guys, if I get some big movie deal or I hit the lottery, you're probably never going to see or hear from me again. <laughs> I'm just joking. I would never be able to leave Mississippi State. But, um, you know, it's interesting how life works. It really is. I've been so grateful for the many opportunities that I've had. I, I shared uh, some information with a friend uh, yesterday. I said, in many respects, I feel like I've kind of lived a Forrest Gump life where I've done a lot of great things, but involved in some really cool experiences. You know, I was a radio DJ for a while. I was a club DJ for a while. 
dabbled in the music business for a little, little while and uh, worked in retail for a while, coached high school baseball. I've been able to do a lot of cool things. I've got a lot of great experiences that I hold very, very dear. But I can, I can assure you the greatest years of my life have been spent in Starkville, Mississippi. And before I moved up here, it was like the greatest moments that I shared, you know, with my kids and my own father were in Starkville, Mississippi. So it holds a special place in my heart. And so very, very gra- grateful to be a Stark villain as I look at my U.S. trademark of the phrase Stark villain. If you're looking for Stark villain gear, you can find it at StarkVillains.com. We'd certainly appreciate uh, the support, especially with the fall weather coming. You probably need a new hoodie, but uh, a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk a little bit about the FBS playoff rankings. We're going to preview Arkansas and a very good top 10 list today. You know, sometimes I never know where they're going to come from. You know, Roy keeps the running list. And if you guys have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know on social media and you can find most of the songs, most of the list. We've done about 300 of them in the archives on Spotify uh, or through Roy's Twitter and that's at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C. And then Izzy Mandelbaum, who I have met. I won't, I won't dox him. I won't give you his identity, but I've met him, and, uh, and he and his lovely wife. And uh, he does a great job putting these things on Apple Music. For, so for those of you that don't subscribe to Spotify, you can hear the songs in their entirety. And he always responds to the tweet, the tweet that Roy sends out that I always uh, forward or retweet, you can find the Spotify list and the Apple Music list. So we're going we're gonna to go back to the late 90s today, and we're going to talk about a very interesting time in music, kind of a post-grunge era in music. And uh, you know, the early 2000s were kind of interesting, but um, believe it or not, today's list, you know, I got to thinking too, you know, I've been listening to Michelle Branch a lot lately, and uh, that may come as a surprise to some of you. You think you look at me and you think, oh, well, Steve only listens, you know, to Motley Crue and Rat and bands from the Hollywood Strip. And I do listen to that a lot. I really do listen to a lot of modern rock, too. But um, I have a real appreciation, you know, for people that are great singer-songwriters that write their own music. There are a lot of people that are ultra-talented that can't write songs. And then there are some of us that can write songs and can't really sing them. So I respect people that can do both. And Michelle Branch is one of those people. And so I've been listening to Michelle Branch a lot this week. And um, All You uh, All you Wanted is my favorite song from her, without question. I absolutely love that song. There are so many songs that she's done. And uh, recently re-recorded uh, her first album, the big breakthrough album that you guys know so well. So maybe listen to some Michelle Branch in the next few days. I think you'll be glad you did. But that kind of inspired me for today's top ten list. Because I was thinking, you know, I really enjoy women in music. Yeah, I love all women anyway, and a lot of that, I guess, is because I have four sisters, and uh, some of the strongest people uh, in my life have been women, and uh, I have a, a very healthy respect for women, and, and uh, very, very, very protective of the women in my life in many respects, uh, just because of the fact that I think that's part of the relationship. It's part of our jobs to, to you know, defend them and have their back and that sort of stuff, and it's not in any way to, to suggest that they are incapable of doing that, but uh, I think it's important to be an ally to women. And I've been very, very grateful for all the women that have been in my life, even you know, for no, no matter how long it's been. You know, it's one of those things that I think about, you know, my grandmother, and everybody has that special grandmother, right? Everybody does. I, I submit to, my, to you that my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, is among the best. And I uh, lost her several years ago to Alzheimer's. 
And I'm so grateful. The last time I got to see her, everybody prepared me. They said, you know, Steve, don't be upset. She's probably not going to know you. And, uh, and so you go in there and you think, okay, well, this is just going to be you know, kind of like me paying a final visit before she passed away. And, and thankfully, as she's sitting there looking at me, I see where the, the, the fog kind of cleared a little bit. And she looked at me with some clarity. And I said, Memo, do you know me? And she said, yeah, you're Stephen. And that just meant so much to me. And uh, she, without a doubt, is um, probably the strongest woman I've ever known. And uh, I'll share a brief story with you before we get into the show, because I think it's important. So I lived with my grandparents until I was about eight years old. My parents divorced when I was 15 months old. And, um, and so mom moved home, and so my grandparents essentially raised me. And so I have an, an aunt and an uncle, but, uh, you know, my uncle was still in high school. My aunt was in college. And so in many respects, they felt more like a brother and sister to me. And that's how they, they treated me. And so their parents, in, in many respects, felt like my parents. And so my grandmother one time... She got a phone call. My grandfather was a minister, and then he did other odd jobs. He was a carpenter, and, and there was one time he had taken some shifts at Ingalls Shipyard down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And uh, on the way home from the coast, my grandfather's car broke down, and so he had to use the money he had made that week to get the car fixed. And so he calls my grandmother to kind of apprise her of the situation. And she never panicked. She didn't cry. She didn't say, oh, woe was us. She called down to the little burger joint at the end of the street, and she said, hey, can I come work a couple of shifts? And the next thing I know, she's walking out the door, tying her apron around her waist, and she went down there, and she worked the dinner shift, and she came back home you know, with a sack full of hamburgers and, and hot dogs, and uh, we had something to eat. And uh, you know, we were, we were not a wealthy family in any respect. You know, Of course, my grandmother stayed home that's what what women did in those days but um you know my grandfather of course uh, was never you know a rich man when it came to material things but he always did his part to take care of us and so i've shared that story many times and i wanted to share it with you today because the example my grandmother said is you know there was you know bad things happen to good people and so that was an unfortunate situation and rather than just kind of you know lie in the mire a little bit and and, and wallow in self-misery you know, she put her apron strings around her waist and she went to work and she did what she had to do for her family. And, and I have remembered that countless times in my life. You know, when things have happened to me, I said, well, you know what, it's just time to go to work. You know, this is, this is what's happened to us. And, and rather than feel sorry for ourselves and, you know, think about, oh, how woe is us, you know, you got to go fix your situation. Because all the, all the worry and all the whining, it doesn't change anything. And so I share that with you. Maybe you'll find some some inspiration in that. I'm sure many of you have learned those lessons already in life. But I just wanted to share that because she is so special to me. And, and I understand that the state singers are doing a, a concert here in the next few weeks. And, uh, and I lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's. And so my daughter, Audrey, uh, is, going, is basically singing on her behalf at this uh, concert. And uh, they're going to have a little video display. And I'm proud to say that my grandmother, Joe Selman, Margaret Joe Selman, of Columbia, Mississippi, who got engaged at 16 years of age because her future husband was uh, one of those guys that was a little bit shy, and rather than propose to her on one knee, he, um, they were sitting in a car, and it was cold outside, and it was raining, and uh, you know, there was condensation on the windows, and rather than just ask her, he just kind of wrote it in the window, will you marry me? And so I think that's very sweet and very special. And so, again, very grateful to have been born into that tribe 
and uh, love her to death. And uh, it means a lot to me to know that she is going to be recognized as part of the State Singers Concert and uh, that many people who never would have known her, you know, will see her image and understand that she and our family uh, were impacted by Alzheimer's. And so if you know somebody that's dealing with that, my heart goes out to you. I know how cruel uh, that can be. All right, that's it for today. Let's, uh, let's move on to Bulldog Burger Company. Bulldog Burger Company, a great place to eat, a great place to work, a great place to go for an adult beverage, a great place just to go have maybe a girl's night or perhaps a guy's night. You can have a beer. You can have a great restaurant-quality hamburger. You can get that chocolate shake to go. So whether it's a family night or just a night out with friends, Bulldog Burger Company, without a doubt, is the best place to go. Best place to get that restaurant-quality hamburger. Now three great locations to serve you right here, the, the flagship on University Drive here in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and then on Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgeland Flowood area. Go check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Get the spring rolls for your appetizer. It'll make you and everybody around you better look, and we all need more of that. We all do. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, so the college football playoff committee released their initial top 25 for the poll, the playoff rankings. Now, you may recall this. There was a time that Mississippi State was the number one team in the FBS playoff rankings. That's right. We stayed there for three weeks back in 2014. The season didn't end the way we wanted it to. You know, we lose the Egg Bowl and, of course, um, lose to Georgia Tech there in the Orange Bowl. But uh, it doesn't diminish the fact that we had a really good year and had some new first. But, um, you know, we're back in the playoff rankings again this year. And, and some people would say, hey, wait a minute, Steve. You know, here's the reality is that sometimes the facts of life don't match up to the narrative that some people are invested in. And, and much is the case when it comes to sports teams. Oh, Mississippi State's not any good. Guys, we're a good team. Are we a really good team? That remains to be seen. Are we a great team? Probably not. We played really well the last couple of weeks, but we are in the rankings. But let's run through these rankings a little bit here, and I'll offer a little bit. Uh, come up, some thoughts about these things. But, uh, you know, Georgia, of course, number one with a bullet. Georgia's the best team in the country. And if you've seen them play, and it doesn't matter who they play against, when you see how athletic they are at all levels of defense, it is incredible. Now, they are on a historic rate when it comes to points allowed, allowing less than a touchdown per game. Uh, that'll win you a lot of games. When the other team can't score, chances are you're going to win. I think Georgia, and people are saying, well, you know, Alabama may, may beat Georgia uh, in Atlanta. And they certainly may. But I would say at this point, I would pick Georgia in that ball game. Alabama, of course, number two. Uh, some people were kind of surprised by that, that Alabama would be two. You know, Alabama has the one loss. And when you start ranking the one-loss teams, I think it's pretty safe to say Alabama is the best one-loss team. So I don't have a big qualm with Alabama making the top four. It is a little interesting, though, that Michigan State is 8-0 and they're ranked third. You know, if, if you had put Michigan State second, I don't know that anybody could have really complained. But Alabama at two, probably a bit high. Michigan State, of course, uh, the big comeback win over the weekend against Michigan. A lot of people thought that game was over, including myself. I actually picked Michigan State to win it. Then you look up, and next thing you know, they're down three scores. They battle back. And uh, Mel Tucker, of course, a guy that uh, – Left Colorado. People were really upset about how he left and what he said. Uh, doing a good job up there. But also, too, LSU kind of courting him a little bit. And so, you know, if you're Scott Woodward at LSU, and that's really your guy, 
this is a good development. This is a really good development for you because if you're going to get Mel Tucker, that's a pretty easy sell. And say, hey, the guy, look at what they've done. Look what they're ranking the playoffs. You know, we'll see how things progress. Oregon right there, kind of a sneaky number four. I don't know a lot of people pick them, but here's the deal that I look at. This is one of the reasons that I think it's fair to include them. I love Ohio State. And Ohio State's playing at a much better uh, rate right now than they were when they lost to Oregon. And, of course, that was a huge game early in the year. But Ohio State and Oregon have the same record at 7-1 and one against comparable competition. And Oregon beat them head-to-head, so the committee puts Oregon ahead of Ohio State. I think that's right. I think that's absolutely correct. Now, we get to number six, they're Cincinnati. A lot of people projected them to be in the top four. And I guess one of the things you have to look at if you're the Bearcats is like, you know, what do we have to do? What do we have to do to prove ourselves? They're undefeated. And, you know, let, and let, let's look at their schedule just a little bit here. I think it's important to understand a lot of people, well, they had not really played anybody. Well, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. But at the end of the day, I mean, you can only play the teams that are on your schedule. You can't go out and change the games. But Cincinnati, I mean, hey, they're 8-0. They beat Miami of Ohio. They should. They beat Murray State. They did. They go to Indiana. And Indiana's not having a great year, but they're still a good team. And they win at Indiana. And then two weeks later, they go into South Bend and they beat Notre Dame, media darling Notre Dame. And it wasn't like some fluky thing. That Guys, they beat them 24-13. Then they blow out Temple. They blow out Central Florida. They win at Navy, and that's been a difficult place to play over the years. I mean, Navy runs the triple option better than anybody in the country. And then they beat Tulane. And so what they have left is you don't have a lot of resume building opportunities left on this schedule. You get Tulsa this weekend. You get at South Florida. You get SMU. And maybe that helps a little bit. And then you're at East Carolina. But, you know, for the most part, the hay is in the barn for Cincinnati. If you look at the schedule, you would say, you know what, they're going to win out. And they should. So what do you do if you're the committee and, and these guys go undefeated and they have road wins at Indiana at Notre Dame? Those are difficult decisions that have to be made. It's, but, you know, if you're Cincinnati, you're probably looking ahead here and saying, you know what, we need the traffic to clear a little bit. Because what if Cincinnati's undefeated? And let's say Alabama loses, and all of a sudden you have a two-loss Alabama team in the discussion. And let's say, you know, Oregon drops a game. Oregon's got a pretty reasonable schedule, but there are some games in there that are a little bit dicey. They've got to play the Civil War game against Oregon State, which is still rather interesting to me that um, somebody in the Pacific Northwest calls it rivalry game a Civil War. I, I maybe, maybe perhaps – I think they said they're not going to call it that anymore. But either way, you know, Cincinnati needs some traffic to clear ahead of them, but um, – you know, what do you do if they're 12-0 and 0 and you've got a two-loss Alabama and perhaps a two-loss Oregon team? I don't think you have any choice but to put them in. And what's going to happen with Ohio State-Michigan? Michigan right there at number seven. So, the, you know, that's probably a good thing for Cincinnati is that the two teams that kind of book in them are going to play head-to-head. But, you know, Cincinnati ends up being fifth in the playoff and then, you know, having a good or New Year's Six game, you know, I, I think that's probably unfortunate. I mean, they, they tried to beef up their non-conference scheduling by adding power five opponent like Indiana and then going into South Bend, and they've won those games. So I could make a case that Cincinnati belongs in the top four. And I think this is one of those things that will work itself out. I, to be honest with you, I think it's good for college football if you had the Bearcats make the top four. I would like to see that. 
because it's generally the same teams over and over and over again, and it gets kind of stale. How many times are we going to see Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma? I mean, honestly. You know, the best teams deserve a chance to go play for it all, but if I'm Cincinnati, I'm thinking, you know, we got a case here. Michigan, of course, 7-1, and one, fresh off that loss to Michigan State. So, yeah, Michigan State 8-0, and oh, ranked ahead of Michigan as they should be. Oklahoma, 9-0, and oh, number eight. That's a little bit curious, too. You say 90-0 and you look at their schedule and you begin to think, okay, where, where do they make up, pick up some ground? You know, and that's what's going to be difficult for them is that they're not going to have a lot of opportunities, I think, to really beef up the resume. A couple of games left, obviously, against the ranked opponents, but, you know, Baylor, maybe the bloom is off the rose a little bit there. Iowa State, Iowa State's certainly capable of beating Oklahoma. And then, then you've got, um, you know, Bedlam. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So I don't know if they can climb without some help. But I do think it's kind of interesting, too, when you look at what's available to them you know, on the schedule and you look at uh, some teams around them, that they may have one of the more difficult schedules, but they're not going to play anybody in front of them. So they can't necessarily play their way in. Oklahoma State, of course, right there at 11. Uh, Baylor right there at 12. And so you, you could have a little bit of resume building there. But uh, I, I just think Oklahoma, to start at eight and not have a chance to play the teams ahead of you head-to-head, and I believe those teams probably a little more favorable schedules, uh, it's going to be difficult. Wake Forest right there at number nine. Now, they have a reasonable schedule down the stretch too. And those are the things that Paul Jones and some of the guys in the media and I were talking last night when the rankings first came out. You start thinking, what if you end up with Wake Forest undefeated? What if Cincinnati is undefeated? What if Oklahoma is undefeated and Georgia's undefeated? Well, you know, Georgia's in at number one. And so it's one thing for Cincinnati, a G5 team, to go undefeated and be left out. But what about a Power 5 team? What if Wake Forest sweeps the ACC schedule and then they don't get in the playoff? Those are the things that are going to lead to expansion. Those, that's what's going to happen. It's when you have a Power Five conference champion left out of the mix. And there's a good chance that happens this year. I mean, it really is. There's some teams playing well. They got a chance to win a conference championship with one or less losses, and not everybody's going to make it. Notre Dame right there at 10. I'm happy with that because I think they skate on reputation more times than not. And then, listen, they they play a a, a decent non-conference schedule, but – I just don't think it's going to happen for them this year. Oklahoma State right there at 11. You know, them in Oklahoma, one of them will eliminate the other. Baylor again right there at 12. And uh, they're just too much for those guys to overcome. Auburn right there at 13. And I'll tell you why that's significant. So, you know, the Sugar Bowl this year is interesting, right? You know, I haven't looked at all the bowl tie-ins to kind of see how it all works out with New Year's Six in preparation for the show. But Auburn has a chance to win out, with the exception of maybe Alabama. I don't think they can beat Alabama. But what if Auburn wins out, with the exception of Alabama? And let's say they end the year 9-3. and three. Well, there's a good chance they could be the highest-ranking SEC team not in the playoff. That's pretty interesting. And Auburn, you know, that's the thing, too. It's not that big a jump for us. When you begin to think about what's happening you know, with college football and look at the remaining schedule, you know, we're right there at 17, and we'll get to that a little bit later. 
But Auburn's right there kind of in shouting distance. And, and so let's say you assume a loss to Alabama. You know, if they could trip up somewhere along the way, Mississippi. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. State could possibly you know, surpass them. A&M right there at 14. If I had to make a pick today, I think A&M is going to end up being the highest ranking SEC team not in the playoff. I think that that's probably how this thing plays out because I, I believe Texas A&M is going to win out and they'll be 10-2. and two. BYU right there at 15, 7-2. To me, they're just kind of an also-ran. I mean, honestly. And then Ole Miss at 16, at 6-2. Six Mississippi State at 17. So here's the deal. I'm going to just tell you right now how I think this is going to play out. Now, I may feel differently next week because obviously we'll have played a game between now and then. I think Ole Miss is going to go 2-2 two and two, and State's going to go 3-1 and one in the Final Four. That's how I feel today. And, again, I may feel differently on Monday, but that's how I feel today. I think Ole Miss is in a bad spot with Texas A&M. I think that is a terrible matchup for them. That's a very physical team out in College Station. They'll play that game in Oxford. But I think Isaiah Spiller and those guys, the running game of Texas A&M is going to give Ole Miss a lot of trouble. And as physical a ball game as that could be, I think that you know lends to think that A&M will win that game. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I think State's going to win the Egg Bowl. And so – What's interesting to me about this, this whole Ole Miss being 16 at 6 and 2 and Mississippi State being 17 at 5 and 3, is that contrary to the opinions of many others, the FBS playoff committee basically sees Mississippi State and Ole Miss on the same footing. Now, to hear even some of our own fans tell it, Ole Miss is light years ahead of us. Well, they're not. And I really think it's going to be difficult for them down the stretch considering how beat up they are. And by their own admission, they'll tell you they're dealing with some pretty serious injuries. You got some guys that are very talented that are they're just, you know, they're not healthy. And like people say, when it comes to this kind of stuff, uh, you know, uh, availability is the best ability. And so you've got some very talented players that are beat up and banged up. And so, of course, they'll try. I mean, there's a lot left to play for if you're Ole Miss. And so guys are going to try. And I think in some respects, you probably put some guys out there because of what's at stake, you wouldn't ordinarily. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be in good physical shape by the time they get here. And, you know, of course, anything can happen in football. All it takes is one crazy play, you know, and anybody could lose a key player. So, no, I don't think Mississippi State is going to make a big run up the playoff rankings. But I do think we will finish no better, no worse than two and two down the stretch. And I believe probably three out of four. The, all, the trip to Auburn worries me. I don't think it's a great matchup for us. 
That's not to say that I don't think we can't go over there and compete. But bow neck scares me. If you get good bow, it could be a long night. And that Auburn defense, especially in the, you know, in the secondary, is pretty legit. So we'll see how things progress. But, again, I got Ole Miss losing to A&M and Mississippi State. And as of now, I got State losing to Auburn. So I think at the end of the day, we'll be a solid bowl team, which is kind of what we forecasted at the beginning of the year. I was thinking a Tennessee bowl. If some things fall just right for us, we could be out in Florida somewhere. We'll see. I'm just happy to know that there's a good chance we're going to be in the postseason again after all the things that we've kind of dealt with this year. Number 18, Kentucky. We just beat those guys. They're really upset. They're really upset. They're 6-2 and two and behind us. And I joked on Twitter last night. I said, as bad as Mississippi State beat Kentucky, that should count as two losses. NC State right there at 19. Mississippi State's beat them. And Minnesota right there at 20. P.J. Flagg doing a great job. It's just a matter of time, I think, before he gets a blue blood type job. I really do. And honestly, I was a Heather Flag fan before I was a P.J. Flag fan. So uh, that's kind of cool, too. Wisconsin right there at 5-3 and three at 21. Iowa, remember, they were number two in the country here a few weeks back, and they're number 22 in the playoff role, in playoff polls. And Fresno State, 7-2 and two at 23. San Diego State, 7-1, and one, way back there at 24. And then Pitt, 6-2 and two, uh, back at 25. So your Bulldogs included in the FBS playoff rankings, and uh, that's a cool thing. I don't think many people expected that. I thought we would be on the back end because of the the quality of our wins because we have three top 25 wins. And I thought that would be something you look at and say, hey, you know, probably a pretty good chance the committee puts us in there, maybe 22 through 25. That's kind of what I was thinking. I wasn't expecting 17. And in many respects, they might as well put us at 16 because we're better than Ole Miss. Ole Miss not good at sports. Good at some things. Well, not really. They're definitely not good at sports. They're just not good at sports. And so that'll play itself out in time. You know, and we need to win that ball game. There's no doubt. That was the beginning of the year. We began to look at the expectations from Mississippi State. Get ball eligible. Have a winning season. Get the egg back. Those are three goals right there. Okay, so we're pretty close to getting that done. You get a win this weekend at Arkansas, and all of a sudden you're 6-3 and three, and you still have your FCS opponent to play – so you feel like, hey, we've got another win in our back pocket. So you're looking, okay, so we're probably no worse than 7-5. and five. And even if we lose a ball game, we end the year with a winning record. And that's really for the first time in a couple of years, right? So, so, again, we're trending back in the right direction. It takes some time. And there are a lot of people early in the season that were ready to give up on Mike Leach that are now kind of falling quiet. And let me just say this on behalf of the rest of the fan base, thank you. Thank you for falling quiet. I don't need to come out and say, you know what, hey, you were wrong. You know you were wrong, and that's okay. And I know that it all comes from a, from a great place. But the end of the day is uh, Mike Leach and the staff getting it done has played really well the last couple of weeks. And that's not to say that we're not going to have a bad game at some point. That, that's, you know, that's kind of been the, the Mike Leach experience. You know, you, you go out there and you beat somebody you're not supposed to and you lose to somebody you're not supposed to. And so I think you can look at this year and say, you know what, it's a pretty good representation of the Mike Leach experience, you lose to Memphis and then you beat A&M in College Station. Nobody expected that. Not beginning of the year. As we got ready to go play them, I'm the only one that picked us. But uh, the reality of it is, is that's pretty, you know, what you'd expect from Mike Leach team, especially a young team like this. And that's the thing that I begin to think about. And I've done a lot of radio shows around the Southeast and people say, well, what do you expect long term? I said, you know, I think Mississippi State could be a much better football team next year. And the schedule on paper looks pretty daunting. It really does. But who's to say what those teams look like by the time we play them? 
I think next year this nucleus of young offensive players are really coming to their own. You're beginning to see it now. You're beginning to see Will Rogers grow up. A lot of those the complaints and discussions we had early in the year, you know, we're not having. Not to mention we just had a guy set the SEC record for completion percentage in a game with over 30 attempts and go 36 of 39 and beat one of the media darlings. And I don't, I still don't understand why, how Kentucky gets so much press. Guys, Mark Stoops is three games over 500. Right? Did you know that? Did you know that Mark Stoops is 55 and 52 as a head coach? Oh. Oh, they didn't tell you that, did they? What's the truth? People are like, oh, well, look at them now. Yeah, yeah, but look, guys, they're just a mediocre team. They're having a good year this year because they've got a lot of veterans, one of the oldest teams in the league, but they had not done a great job at Kentucky. They did a good job at Kentucky, but it's not a great job. That's just the reality of it. And people thought, oh, man, this – what do the numbers say? That's what everybody always beats us over the head with, right? Yeah, but what's Mike Leach's record? And you know, look at the old, what's going on with this? Yeah, you know, what's it? yeah, you're getting better, but. Well, you know, let's make sure that that, you know, that, that same criticism is applied uniformly. All right, time for today's top ten list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair Chandler, longtime friend of mine, great friend of mine, think an awful lot of him. He is a very big, intimidating person, too. So I'm glad to have him as a friend because if he's went with me and there's some drama, I know that people will think twice with Blair around. And that's the thing, too. Blair knows how to deal with underwriters. This is a guy that can get your loan approved. He told me just yesterday, got some new applications from you guys. Working through that. How cool is that? I appreciate you guys doing business with Bulldogs. That's always the best way to go. I like to keep it in the family. You can refinance your home today. Take advantage of the low rates. Get your equity working for you, whether it be consolidating some debt or perhaps cashing out to do some home improvements. Blair can help you with that. Also, if you're looking to buy a home for the first time, perhaps a second time, Blair can help you with that too. This is the guy that gets things done. Close ratio and top 1% nationally. Works for Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five Mortgage lenders in America, not some subprime, you know, mom and pop operation. Not to say that people aren't out there working, but you're dealing with a professional when you deal with Blair. Go to CloseWithBlair.com, and here's the deal. By being a Boneyard listener, he's going to make it easier than ever. Blair is going to give you a chance to save some money as you go through this mortgage lending process. Just mention to him, whether it be by phone call, email, or text, that you heard about him on the Boneyard and then Blair is going to pay for your appraisal. That's about a $500 value. How cool is that? Just for listening to the show. Just by saying, you know what? I'm a boneyard guy too, or gal. Now I need to buy a home. I need to refinance my home. He's going to pay for your appraisal. Give him a call or text today, 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And that's his personal cell number. That's not, you know, a line of some office that uh, he's going to hide behind his voicemail. He'll get right back to you because he's a mortgage professional. How about that? Closewithblair.com. All right, let's look at the top ten. So I mentioned we're going to celebrate women today. And so in a post-grunge world, it was a weird time in music. You know, we had the excess of the 80s, that we had the depression of the early 90s. In the late 90s, we saw women kind of come to the forefront. I love 
women singer-songwriters. I do. Absolutely love them. Love all women. Everybody here at the Boneyard, we love women. We do. Ladies, we love everything about you. And thanks for taking care of us and all the great things you do for us, most of the time without asking. And so back in 1997, the brainchild of one Sarah McLaughlin, who is a musical genius, one of the great female vocalists of this generation, she had this idea, let's put together a traveling festival featuring female artists. And it was called Lilith Fair. You can Google that and research that and you can... um, you get a little more information about that. And so, and at the time, there were a lot of great female kind of alternative rock radio artists. So I, I'm not going to include all the artists that were involved in Little Affair. You know, Mary Chapin Carpenter uh, didn't make the list. Emmy Lou Harris, who was an icon in American music, uh, she didn't make the list either. But um, I wanted to run down the top 10, and they were, I believe there were 14 female artists at Little Affair. I think that's correct. But number 10, and, and this is an Indigo Girls song. I wanted to put them in here because in many respects, they kind of paved the way for so many people. I have a bit of a personal bias, though, against the Indigo Girls. And it's got nothing to do with them. You know, I was dating uh, a girl years ago that was a huge Indigo Girls fan, and I just didn't want to listen to folk music. And I, I had been to uh, Bebop Record Shop, and I had bought some CD. I don't know who it was. Maybe, you know, maybe Asphalt Ballet or Tor Tor or some, you know, some obscure you know, 80s uh, rock band, and uh, was eager to listen to that, and she threw a fit because she wanted to listen to the new Indigo Girls album, uh, led to a bit of a disagreement, shall we say. So to represent the Indigo Girls, because a list of the Little Fair artists would be incomplete without them, I went with the greatest, Closer to Fine. Closer to Fine by the Indigo Girls, number 10 on your list. Number 9, actually a song written by Prince. You didn't think you'd get that today, did you? You know, he also wrote uh, Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. People don't know that. A lot of people are like, oh, I thought that was an original. No, it's not. But One of Us by Joan Osborne is your number nine song. One of Us. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? That's a Prince song. Maybe you didn't know that, but it is. And you can find some live versions of Prince actually performing that song. I thought Joan Osborne did a great job with it. Number eight, we've had a top ten list of her. It's Cheryl Crow. And uh, I wanted to kind of to, to put one of my favorites on here, not necessarily – her biggest hit, but I went with Leaving Las Vegas because I think it's such a cool song. Got a great vibe to it. Your number eight song, Leaving Las Vegas from Sheryl Crow. Number seven, Paula Cole. She hit the ground running with that song, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone? And I know many of you responded and say, hey, we're right here. But I think Paula Cole's actually our best song uh, was one that it seemed like on every romantic sitcom for about five years, this song was on the soundtrack, but it's I Don't Want to Wait. I don't want to wait, Paula Cole. And it's basically like, you know, we've got this great relationship or whatever, and, and there's some things that kind of complicate matters, but I don't want to wait for our lives to be over for us to kind of decide to have something glorious uh, in our lives. So there you go. I don't want to wait by Paula Cole, number seven. Number six, a song that I think is kind of lost in obscurity today, and it was an absolute wonderful song at the time. Uh, by Sean Colvin, the song is Sonny Came Home. And Sonny came home with a vengeance. Sean Colvin, uh, very good artist. I don't know that she had the same back end that perhaps some of her peers did, but uh, maybe a little underappreciated. So go check out some Sean Colvin today when you get a chance. Number five, the Cardigans. And I really like the Cardigans. And, um, and one of my favorite songs by them is And Then You Kissed Me, which is a wonderful song. But I went with their biggest hit, which is Love Fool. It's kind of got a throwback vibe to it. 
I love fooled by the Cardigans, number five. Number four, and Tracy Chapman's been around forever, and uh, my girls have kind of gotten into Tracy Chapman here in recent years, an incredible singer-songwriter. Um, I went with Give Me One Reason to Stay Here. Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman, and you could have gone with so many other ones uh, because she is so authentic, and that's the thing that people respond to is authenticity. People like a genuine artist that sings and shares their soul, and that's who Tracy Chapman is. Number three, a bit of a one-hit wonder in many respects. I know that she has kind of a cult following out there. I absolutely love her. It's Fiona Apple. And uh, it's not just the way she looks, but it's the way she sings. She really has a blues voice that uh, is kind of timeless. And at the time, there were a lot of people doing some different things vocally. And she was a bit of a throwback. And the song Criminal is just, it's insanely good. Number two, and it seemed like she came from like nowhere to everywhere. She was almost like an overnight sensation, and I'm talking about Jewel. Phenomenal singer and an incredible songwriter. And of course, you know, she got famous when she was hungry. You know, it's like her songs maybe had a little more teeth to them. And then she got famous and, uh, you know, began to date and marry, you know, people of, uh, of consequence in many respects, I guess you could say. And it's interesting, too, there are so many people, too, when they're starving musicians, you know, they write about the pain, they write about the things they know, and as they begin to heal, sometimes uh, the music doesn't remain the same. And that's not necessarily a criticism of Jewel. I mean, she certainly made her money. But I went with Who Will Save Your Soul at number two for Jewel. Number two, I, I think absolutely when you look at this list and you look at all the, the wonderful musicians that were part of this great festival, uh, Jewel at the time was an absolute superstar. Could, I mean, you can go with several options for Jewel. She's got so many great hits. But number one, I had to go with a Sarah McLaughlin song. I have her first four albums, I believe. And we could go Building a Mystery. We could go so many different options. But I went with the one that kind of started it all for me. And it's a song called Possession. And you you hear it, and it's uh, it sounds like you know, a love song in many respects. You know, that's what it sounds like, you know. But it's really about lyrics that she kind of gathered from all these letters from, you know, stalkers and, you know, super fans that didn't know where things ended. And so it's kind of a dark and twisted song. And I kind of like that aspect of it because she took something that was negative and made something beautiful about it. And, um, I think Possession is an absolutely incredible song. We could probably do a top 10 Sarah McLaughlin list pretty easily. But, uh, you know, her voice, like when, when you hear her sing, it's, it's almost like sliding into, uh, you know, a bed covered in silk sheets, man. I mean, it's just so smooth and perfect. And they're just, you know, and again, I don't necessarily always agree with her politics, but I do not deny her talent. I think she is the greatest singer-songwriter from that genre. Never got a chance to see her live. I know many of you have, but she is absolutely a gem and uh, one of the great female vocalists of this generation. So there you go. Your top 10 Lilith Fair songs from many of the ladies that were part of that great festival. And again, it was just, if you didn't live through it, you can't fully appreciate it. Because, you know, women were on the radio nonstop. It became, they were a force. And it's like everywhere you went, everybody was playing these songs whether it be on TV shows, whether it be, uh, you know, out-bed music as uh, NFL games went to commercial, they were everywhere. And I enjoy all aspects of music. Uh, 
But I thought when this all began to happen, it's like there were a lot of people that were really into alternative rock and stuff that got into these ladies. And I think in many respects, uh, they rose to superstardom because it was just simply their time. They were very, very talented. It was Music was in transition. And so it was time for these ladies to kind of uh, come to the forefront. And I know that when Sarah McLaughlin got ready to put the lineup together, she wanted to include the Indigo Girls who were kind of doing it before anybody else. I remember being in Hattiesburg, you know, in the early 90s, and it's like if you if you met any girl that was kind of a cool hipster girl that uh, was a little bit different, they were all big Indigo Girls fans. And so it was almost like Sarah McLaughlin was kind of throwing, you know, kind of a bone to the originators in many respects of, uh, you know, women's alternative music. And so check it out today. I know it's a little different than what we've talked about before. Uh, we're going to do on Friday. I haven't told Roy yet, so you guys are going to get it before he does. On Friday, we're going to do top 10 list for one of the greatest rappers alive. So we're going to do some rap on Friday. So kind of an interesting list this week, right? Rock, rap collaborations on Friday. And then uh, we do Little Affair today. And so we'll do one of the greatest rappers alive on Friday. It's a little bit of a, of a, uh, a hint for you as well. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. We're going to uh, be with Campus Bookmark tonight. And tomorrow, all day, at the Mistletoe Marketplace there in Jackson, there at the Trademark. Come out and say hello. Uh, I'll be there signing books. Uh, Dogpile, still not out. Still not out. Still working through all that. And uh, hope to have a release date for you guys uh, incredibly soon. Uh, trust me, I am barking as much as I can. But, but they have all four of my previous books, and you'll be able to get signed copies of those at the events uh, tonight and tomorrow. So... If you are perhaps your significant other headed that way and you haven't completed your collection in advance of Dogpile, I would encourage you to come out and take care of that today. You can also order online at campusbookmart.net along with your Mississippi State merch. A lot of great national championship gear still available. It's getting colder weather, so maybe get that M over S uh, hoodie that you have seen recently and you have uh, coveted. You can get that from Campus Bookmart. Let me give you a promo code, too, just for you guys, because I love you. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Roberts. And you use that promo code, that gets you free shipping on all orders, over $50. Any order less than $50, bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's look at the Arkansas Razorbacks. You know, they were, they were kind of the... Um, you know, the talk of college football there for a couple of weeks. And uh, we'll go back and look at their schedule. Got off to the great start. You know, they, they beat Rice 38-17. They beat Texas 40-21. I actually picked Texas in that ballgame. And Arkansas pretty much did what they wanted to do. Uh, they beat Georgia Southern, who just hired Clay Helton. How about that, Jared Banco? Good for you. Georgia Southern 45-10 win for Arkansas. And then they play A&M there in Arlington in Jerry World. Thought that A&M would be in better shape. Arkansas beats them 20-10. And it really wasn't close. It really wasn't close. You know, so defensively, they were very, very good the first few weeks of the season. You know, Texas, of course, course, course 21, but um, it's kind of inconsequential when you give up 40. So the first four ball games, nobody scored more than 21 points, and uh, everybody else scored in the teens. And then they get ready to go to Georgia. And a lot of people are thinking, you know what, Arkansas can keep it close. I felt like it would be a tussle for a half, and then the talent differential would take over in the second half. Guys, Georgia punched Arkansas in the mouth the very first quarter. That game was over well before halftime. 
because you knew if Georgia ever got a two-digit lead with their defense, they were going to close it out, and they did. They had that block punt. I mean, it was just – it was an absolute unmantling or dismantling of Arkansas. 37 nothing, but the difference in the two teams is pretty expansive. I don't know that even – even though it's a 37 nothing blowout, it felt a lot worse than that. Arkansas comes crashing down. The next week they go to Oxford. I thought Arkansas would rebound, and they probably should have won the ball game. But give Ole Miss credit. You know, Ole Miss had a two-touchdown – excuse me, a two-possession lead, and then they decided to go for it on fourth down. Next thing you know, they let Arkansas back in the ball game. But they made the plays to win the game late. Arkansas, of course, puts a late drive together, and they go down and score. And then uh, I, I agree with the decision to go for it rather than to force overtime because, you know, if we got one play to win it, let's take advantage of it because Arkansas was not going to be able to stop Ole Miss uh, in overtime. They, just, they weren't going to be able to. That defense completely gassed, and Ole Miss played really well offensively that day. Didn't agree with the play call. K.J. Jefferson was clearly a little bit banged up. And uh, the next week, they they go and uh, they host Auburn. They lose that ball game, and K.J. Jefferson was somewhat limited with a knee injury in that game. That continues to linger. And I hear Sam Pittman say they think he's okay now. Uh, so we'll see how things kind of progress with that. But um, they get beat 38-23. And, again, Bo Nix kind of takes over in that ball game. You know, the Arkansas Pine Bluff game was played two weeks ago before Arkansas enjoyed an open date. But you go back and look at this thing. I mean, it was 35 to nothing at the half. I mean, excuse me, 45 nothing at the half. They did whatever they wanted to do. And that's what you'd expect, right? Dominic Johnson, 91, 91 yards on, on six carries. I think that's right. Yeah, 91 yards. Pretty ridiculous type stuff there. And then uh, Trillian Burks was involved in a running game, too. We're going to have to watch for that. He had a couple of carries for 56. K.J. Jefferson ran just three times for 33 yards. Didn't have to, but I think that's also kind of indicative of his health. K.J. was 10 of 17 with four touchdowns. And, and you just out-athlete those teams. Malik Hornsby got in and played a little bit later in that ballgame. Uh, Traylon Burks, four targets, four catches, 89 yards and a couple touchdowns. Arguably the best wide receiver in the Southeastern Conference. He's also had a bit of a foot injury. Did not practice last week, but he did go this week. And uh, you know he was going to play anyway. But uh, the reality of it is, is that this is an Arkansas team that uh, had lost three in a row prior to playing their FCS opponent. But they lost in a variety of ways. You get absolutely shell-shocked by Georgia. You lose on a last-second play at Ole Miss, and then you know, you're know you in that ball game with Auburn, and then in the second half of that game, uh, Auburn's offense just kind of takes over. Auburn outscores Arkansas in the second half 24-13, to and in many respects that proved to be the difference. Uh, it was 28-23 at the end of the third quarter. And then Auburn basically decides that it's closing time. They put the game away, uh, you know, go up a couple scores late and uh, move it, move the game into the win column. And so that's kind of what they've done to date. Let's look at who they are. You know, it all kind of centers around K.J. Jefferson. And this is a guy from North Panola High School. You guys are familiar with him. Mississippi State and Ole Miss both recruited him. He decided to go to Arkansas, join the staff over there. And uh, they've done a good job with him. They've really done a good job with him, and I think everybody can say, you know what, kid's pretty good, and he is. And he is a big physical guy. He's like Chris Ralph with probably 10 to 15 more pounds, guy that always falls forward. you got to get him in the backfield before things get rolling. Uh, so let's look at some of these numbers. I think it's very interesting 
However, every school's website's a little bit different when it comes to these statistics. But um, so let's take a quick look here. Uh, individual statistics. I guess we'll go back and just do some team numbers first. But um, so they've scored 262 points this year, allowed just 188, averaging 32, nearly 33 points a game, 188 first downs, and uh, which uh, 137 is what they've given up. But you know, of course, they played some teams early on that weren't very good. Rushing yardage, which is this is what they do. They're a running team. They want to establish that. We expect them to come out. Probably may even tease the play action pass early on. They've run for 1,992 yards, allowed 1,335. That doesn't really doesn't really apply to us, though, right? We don't run it that much. But they're averaging right at 250 yards per game on the ground. We've seen that before. We're a great rushing defense. Passing yardage. Not necessarily what I would call pedestrian. I think they're pretty balanced. 1,730 yards, just three interceptions thrown on a year. We're going to need to create some turnovers. Their average depth of target, uh, nine yards. Kind of where we are in many respects. Total offense, 3,722 yards and uh, allowed just under 2,700 yards as a team. Uh, Kick returns, that has been – kind of interesting for them they have only allowed six kick returns on the season they've got a kicker up there Vito that's a uh, pretty impressive guy kicks ball the back of the end zone so in many respects I think that neutralizes Tulu Griffin a little bit Sam Pittman said how scary he is he's, you know, he's a guy that can kind of change the game so as long as they continue to kick the ball the back of the end zone I don't think you'll see a lot of returns and again just six kick returns on the year through eight games that's a pretty impressive statistic there and, again, they've thrown just the three picks, but they've had seven. They've picked off seven. Uh, somewhat um, opportunistic, shall we say. But uh, some of that is kind of left with, uh, with an injury. Uh, third down conversions. They are converting at a 38% rate, 40 out of 104, and they've allowed just 28%. And, again, I think some of that is the quality of the competition. They have generated 13 sacks. They have allowed 13 sacks. They're, not, they're kind of a bend-but-don't-break defense. They don't bring a ton of pressure. They try to get uh, pressure with their front. Occasionally, they'll, they'll mix it up and bring a blitz, four and sometimes five. But by and large, they're a team that kind of wants you to sit back and, and make mistakes. Uh, in the red zone, they have been really good offensively and not so good defensively. 88% offensively, red zone scores, 81% allowed. When opponents get in the Arkansas red zone, though, it's nearly as many field goals as it is touchdowns, just 52% touchdown-wise. They've been very, 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 very good in the first quarter, outscoring opponents 61-28. Matter of fact, the first quarter is the most productive quarter for them defensively. They have done some good things in the middle quarters offensively, but generally they come out in the first quarter and they slow you down. So it could be a slow start uh, in this ball game, let's look at the running game. Traylon Smith, 459 yards for him, leads the team. Raheem Sanders right there at 434. KJ with 419. And then Johnson, that's one of their newer guys, is run for 309. He needs more carries. He was the leading rusher in the Arkansas Pine Bluff game. And uh, Sam Pittman talked about that on, on Monday. So they got to find a way to get the ball in his hands a little bit more. He is explosive. And so they do it in a by-committee approach. That, matter of fact, they have five guys that, are, that have run uh, pretty substantially. You know, they've got, you know, 39 carries for A.J. Green, and he is the fifth leading rusher on the team with 194 yards. So they try to grind it out and wear you down. 
And then when one guy gets tired, they bring in a fresh guy. That's what they want to do is win the war of attrition. K.J. Jefferson, eight games played with a quarterback rating of 164.4, completing 61.8% of his passes, 15 touchdowns, and, of course, the three interceptions there. Uh, Trellin Burks, I mentioned him, just an outstanding player, and uh, even less than 100%. You know, he's going to be one of the better receivers that we see all year. Guys, 42 catches. That's phenomenal. 42 catches, 717 yards, seven touchdowns, uh, with a long of 91 average and just under 90 yards per game. Now, outside of that, there's not a lot to shoot from. Tyson Morris, the number two receiver with 14 grabs, Warren Thompson with 13, and Devion Warren with 10, and that's it. That's it. So, basically, you slow down the run, you contain Trillin Burks a little bit, and there's not a lot out there that can hurt you. you got to be smart. Of the 15 passing touchdowns, Trillin Burks has brought in seven of them. That's pretty impressive. Trey Knox, a guy they were expecting some big things from, uh, really had materialized this year. Uh, seven, uh, excuse me, five catches this year uh, for just 37 yards. You know, he and Burks were expected to come in and, and uh, be outstanding. But uh, the reality of it is that's just kind of where they are. It's a one-receiver deal. So we've got to figure some things out, make somebody else beat us. Looking at some uh, defensive numbers now, it's a little different deal with these guys for sure. We've talked about bumper pull every year. It's not just a fun game. Guy's a pretty hard-nosed linebacker. Been around forever and a day, it feels like. 77 tackles among the league leaders. Five and a half tackles for loss as a pass defended in a breakup. Hayden Henry, the third of the Henry brothers, did a pretty good job for him too. 62 tackles on the year. Seven and a half of those for a loss, which actually leads the team. That's pretty impressive. Grant Morgan, another guy that feels like he's been around forever, 60 tackles, five and a half for loss. Uh, Jalen Catalan, that's the guy right there. Jalen Catalan is the best defensive player at the University of Arkansas, and sadly he has been lost for the year with a shoulder injury. He's had surgery. The next time we see him will probably be on an NFL roster. Kind of an emotional leader and a guy, too, that's always around the football. Had a couple of picks uh, before he left, but also four breakups and six pass defended. This is a guy that's always around the football. He is a pro all the way, but we won't see him. Joe Fouché had two picks against Mississippi State last year, picked off K.J. Costello twice, having a pretty good year for himself this year, 43 tackles on the year, five and a half of those for loss, uh, three breakups and uh, three passes defended, also a quarterback hurry to go with it. Monteric Brown is a guy, too, that's kind of risen to the forefront, too, a guy that's been a dependable playmaker for them on defense. Uh, 35 tackles and three interceptions, two breakups, five passes defended. It's another guy that's obviously always around the football. Greg Brooks Jr., former Mississippi State commitment, uh, we we knew pretty much early on. We know for a while that he was going to flip to Arkansas. Just never could quit flirting with him. And then he ends up there, and then he lost his starting job and uh, is running second team up there. But he was very much in the mix early on. I was not a big Greg Brooks fan. And he made me look a little silly last year with the pick six. You know, State's driving down uh, to take the lead early in the ball game, and Greg Brooks steps in front of a K.J. Costello pass and brings it back, I believe, 76 yards for a touchdown. You're like, well, there's your revenge, Greg. Enjoy it. Ended up being a difference in the ball game. We lose that game 21-14. It feels like it was worse. We had every opportunity to win that game. We blew it. Absolutely blew it. We did. And as I mentioned on Monday's show, we had two opportunities in the fourth quarter down a touchdown. We begin a drive if they're 30 and one if they're 20, we come away with no points. That that just can't happen. We got to convert. We absolutely have to convert. So 
you know, this is a defense that has been pretty decent uh, this year. Also one of those teams, too, that uh, has had some struggles at times. Pretty athletic in the secondary, but, they're, you know, they're going to be – they're going to miss Catalan. That guy is a really, really talented player and uh, really going to miss, in many respects, just kind of his leadership. That's a guy that is always around the football, as we've, we've talked about. And uh, we kind of catch a break in many respects that, um, you know, he's not going to be available. So we've got to take full advantage of that. This is a pass defense, too. At times, it's proven to be pretty leaky. They're very, 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 very good against the run. Very good against the run. But when you start breaking these numbers down, and, um, you know, how are they going to handle, you know, the air raid offense? What, you know, what are they going to do against Mississippi State? How are they going to kind of get things together? Now, I think one of the keys to this, their linebackers are really more tackle-to-tackle -tackle linebackers. And so, will they be able to get out in the flat and cover? Woody and DJ, we'll see. Against the pass this year, Arkansas, eighth in the country. 167 yards per game allowed. That's in eight games. That's pretty impressive, to say the least. Only allowed five passing touchdowns on the year. Now, some of this also has to do with the, the teams that they played. You start looking at this thing and, you know, you go back and look. I mean, number one, they played, uh, you know, some non-conference games that are, you know, really not very good. And then, you know, Ole Miss found a lot of success against them on the ground. So, something's got to give, right? Something's got to give. I might go back and look at this Ole Miss game, too, real quickly here. You know, Matt Corral, rushing touchdown. Touchdown pass to uh, Ontario Drummond. Matt Corral, rushing touchdown. Snoop Connor, rushing touchdown. Snoop Connor, rushing touchdown. Snoop, Snoop Connor, rushing touchdown. And so people have found some success, you know, on the ground. And Braylon Sanders also had a, a touchdown catch. So a couple of those, you know, five touchdowns allowed, you know, came big plays against Ole Miss. So, you know, we're, we've got our work cut out for us. But at the same time, too, I think this is a team, too, that, um, you know, has kind of struggled a little bit. And as Sam Pittman said on Monday, he goes, you know, if I'm, if I'm – I'm, paraphrasing here you know you start the year four and zero and number eight in the country you don't want to see that fall apart and in many respects it kind of has but uh, when you look at what's left on the schedule for them you know th there are not a lot of games you look at and say okay that's a definite win obviously you get Mississippi State this weekend then you travel to LSU and who knows who knows how that team's gonna play and then you go to Alabama and you host Mizzou and so you look at this thing and so they're five and three you know they could easily be six and six. I don't think you look at it and say, oh, they're easily eight and four. I don't think that's the case. I don't think they can win three less four. And that's why this is so important for us. We can get a win here and kind of allow the traffic to clear around us when it comes to the ball picture. So you feel like they're going to lose to Alabama. But if you get a win this weekend, you, you pretty much guarantee them no better than a two and two finish, what would have them right there at seven and five. And so if we can find a way to beat them, win the Egg Bowl, we got a good chance to be eight and four. You know, so it puts us a game ahead and, and, and improves our our bowl destination. Let's look at the series here. So Arkansas leads the series seventeen to thirteen, and a lot of that's because they dominated us the first uh, you know part of the of their time once they joined the league. I mean, we just we really struggled to beat Arkansas once they joined the league. I, and we beat them in 98 with uh, Brian Hazelwood, and that, that snapped the three-game losing streak to them. 
you know, we opened this series years ago. We didn't lose to them. You know, the first five times we played them, we were 4-0-1. We had one tie back in 1993 out in Little Rock. But, we, you know, we started in great shape, and Houston Nutt got there and kind of flipped the script. And we didn't win. From 1995 to 2007, we won one time, and that was in 98, and we won the West. It's been a much different deal under Dan Mullen in many respects. You know, Dan gets here in 99. It takes us a couple years to kind of get rolling. But, you know, 2012, 13, 14, and 15, uh, we win those ball games and really put together a great stretch. You know, and then Belima and those guys came in here in 16 when we were suffering with sermonitis and never punted in the ball game. We never adjusted. We just didn't know what we were doing. We get beat 58-42 and kind of waste a great performance by Nick Fitzgerald. But since that time, we've been in pretty good shape. You know, we, we went in 17, we went in 18, we went in 19. And I don't know what Chad Morris did to irritate Joe Moorhead, but guys, Joe Moorhead showed Chad Morris no mercy. 52-6 and 54-24, and both of those games could have been much worse. We lose the ball game last year, which we shouldn't have. I go back to 17, too. That was Nick Fitzgerald made a great throw to Reggie Todd late in that ball game uh, to put us in a good shape. And I, I, well, I'll share with you, too, what's interesting. There are a lot of people in the Arkansas media, man, who were awfully chipper that day in the stadium. Oh, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. And, and uh, they didn't have a whole lot to say late. They had a whole lot to say, which most media rooms don't get very contentious. Everybody generally just watches the ball game. But they were awfully, awfully, awfully talkative that day. And I think it's important that you guys know those kind of things, too. And then, of course, at the end of the ball game, they were, they were awfully quiet. But uh, Mississippi State, obviously – has had good success as of late, and uh, there was a stretch there where we just couldn't win. But, again, we're just four games down in the series. You win this year, obviously you get a little bit closer, and then you know, Arkansas comes to our place next year. And so that's one thing that I think about is maybe since we're in this better age of Mississippi State football in my lifetime, then maybe perhaps we can begin to even up some of these series records uh, that were so one-sided when we weren't really committed to football back in, um, you know, decades ago. So – so there you are, 17-13. That's your look at Arkansas. Uh, I expect Mississippi State to win the ball game, And uh, maybe it's just because of the fact that I think Arkansas is really struggling and State is trending in the right direction really for the first time this year. I feel like in many respects we are playing how we hoped to play. And I think this is a bad matchup for Arkansas when you go against a Mississippi State defense that is so salty against the run. There's so much that goes along with that that it's become our identity of being a difficult team to run against. And uh, I, I mentioned this to you guys a couple days ago, but I wanted to underscore the fact here about how good this Bulldog rush defense is. You know, we we gave up a few explosives early in the year, right? I think we all knew that. But, uh, when, you know, when I look at these things now, you know, it's a little different deal in many respects of how much better we have gotten against the run. And we didn't give up any explosive plays last week. We had the one big explosive, I guess, against Vanderbilt. And that was just kind of part of the deal. But uh, the reality of it is, is that we're a team that I believe is getting better week after week after week. Now, looking at these rushing numbers. So, those are the things that I think that we, people can really get excited about. Guys, we have allowed – let me make sure I'm looking at the right thing here. Yeah. We have allowed – 640 yards this year. I think that right? Maybe not. I'm looking at the wrong thing here. Give me a second. I'll get caught up with you here. Yeah, we've allowed 716 yards. That's what we've allowed, which is a pretty good number. 
And so let's look at the opponent statistics. So Louisiana Tech ran for 101 yards. And you recall, a lot of that was on one play. We gave a 59-yard quarterback run that gave them a lot of juice. But outside of that, you got 24, 24 carries for 42 yards. NC State came in here as one of the top rushing teams in the country. They had run for over 300 against South Florida. Guys, they ran for 34 yards and a long of 13. So you got 24 carries there for 21 yards. Memphis, another team that likes to run it, 87, a long of 19. So you got 24 carries there for 68 yards. LSU, a team that's kind of built as a line of scrimmage team, and yes, they were struggling running the football a little bit when they came in here. We held them at 63 yards. Texas A&M runs for 161, real committed to that, and uh, got one of the best backs in the nation. So you expect some of that. But they struggled with the passing game. But they ran for 161 yards, along a 44, and just the one touchdown. Guys, we've only given up four rushing touchdowns all year. That's pretty impressive, right? Well, two of those came against Alabama. Alabama got after us, 41 carries for 195 yards. Vanderbilt ran for nine yards on 17 carries. Kentucky ran for 66 yards on 20 carries, and they had one long of 15. So you back that out, 19 carries for 51 yards. So we are getting after people in the run game. We've only had three teams rush for over 100 yards. So five teams this year have been held to under 100 yards, and then many of those are run-first teams. So I like the matchup in that respect. I think our defense has the identity, and Zach Arnett has the plan to slow down the running game. I would like to have played them at our place, but the reality is we got to go up there. I just think as long as we tackle well, and that's going to be a real challenge with K.J. because of the fact that you know K.J. is a very big physical athletic specimen. He is a little bit dinged up with his knee, so he may not be quite as explosive, but he is a guy that typically falls forward. And so I say that just to say this, that this is a matchup I think that favors us. We have got to put them in a situation where they are a – having to put the game into K.J. Jefferson's hands. We have to make them throw the football. Trellin Burks, obviously a guy that's a big handful, and so you've got to make sure that uh, Martin Emerson, those guys are, are on point. And I think we match up really well outside with them. I do think the matchup favors us on both sides of the football in, in, in some respects. Uh, I do think that Arkansas's gaudy pass defense numbers are really a product of the fact that um, – Teams have elected to run football against them. They've played a lot of rushing teams. So just like we saw with Kentucky, a lot of people say, hey, we can Kentucky, you know, mid-30s and pass defense, it's going to be a real challenge. Well, it wasn't. We did what we wanted to do. Now, Arkansas, obviously, those numbers are better. But, again, I think it's a product of the offensive styles of teams they play. But I do think this is a team we can throw against, especially now that Catalan uh, is on the shelf. Time for the final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know, we've talked about Portico several times, and uh, many of you have had the dream of one day moving to Starkville permanently. I would encourage you to do that. Or maybe perhaps you just want to say, you know what, I just want a place to go. I want a place to kind of keep my tailgate stuff. And maybe you buy an investment property. Maybe you buy a home away from home. Because Starkville is home. Portico has some great options for you. Now, if you're looking to move immediately, that opportunity has now passed. It will present itself at a later date, but all of phase one has been completely purchased. We're into phase two now, 
got a few lots sold, and those folks have had an opportunity to share their wishes when it comes to the floor plan. So you have some say in how the home is going to look, whether it be a two-bedroom, two-bath, four-bedroom, four-bath. You can get pretty much what you want. That great walking trail out there gives you an opportunity to kind of get out there and walk off maybe perhaps some of the tailgating calories you put on at a ball game, right? If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I'd move. Portico, without question, very, very easy access to campus, just 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Easy access to 82 and 25. And, of course, you're right there off 12. So you're near enough to all the action for convenience, but far enough away to have some privacy. It's a great place to live. Our friend Brooks Bryan, part of a great group of folks that have brought in this wonderful residential development into our great town. He will provide you with more information. You need to give him a call. He's got some great stories too. Trust me, Brooks is more than happy to talk a little Diamond Dog Baseball with you as well. Give him a call or text today at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, so this moment, Mississippi State football history brought to you by Portico. I wanted to talk a little bit about the 2015 game and what a classic game that was with Arkansas. Now, as some of you have forgot, 2015 was Dak Prescott's senior year. We opened up that year on the road at Southern Miss, won kind of a sloppy, ugly ball game, 34-16. You know, we, we had a chance to go out early, and then we, we, we fumbled. Ashton Shumpert fumbled going into the end zone. Southern Miss hit a couple trick plays to kind of stay in it, but in the end, uh, Dak kind of took over. And this was the year, too, that Dak wasn't going to run quite as much. We wanted to make him more of a pocket passer. Remember that? We get LSU the next week at our place. We lose 21-19. And it was a game that we really struggled in the first half to, to protect the quarterback. We shade a tight end to that side, kind of slow some things down. And then we miss a late field goal. The thing that I remember, too, is how poorly we managed the clock late in the ball game and took a delay of the game penalty that forced a longer field goal that we missed. And then we felt like our dreams of winning the SEC West were over, even though we'd only played one game of SEC play. The next week, we destroy Northwestern State 62-13. We go to Auburn. Gabe Miles with a big ball game for us out there. We beat Auburn 17-9. And if you recall, early in the ball game, Auburn's driving down, and Will Redman with a big interception to kind of tem the, stem the, the flow of the Auburn game. Uh, the next week, we go out to A&M. We lose 30-17. to Just didn't play well. I mean, just didn't play well. If you remember correctly, Aris Williams fumbles in the red zone and then Deronye Wilson fumbles late in that ball game. We got down 14-0. We kind of battled back. It was pretty much an even game down the stretch, but we, we kind of blew it early on and dug ourselves a big hole. Troy, 45-17 winners in that ball game and just, uh, you know, pretty much did what we wanted to do. The next week, same thing with Louisiana Tech, 45-20. We get Kentucky, and we beat them as we should, 42-16. to 16. We're, we're better than Kentucky. I, I mean, I, I keep saying it. Eventually, you guys will believe me. We've won 10 of 13 against them, and they just don't win in Starkville. And think about how many coaches we've had since they've won here. They, they beat Sylvester Croom in his final year. Uh, then Dan Mullen won every year with the exception of one against Kentucky. And then Joe – would split his time at Kentucky, and Mike Leach has split Kentucky. But um, more times than not, they just simply have a difficulty winning here in Starkville. Uh, we go to Missouri for a Thursday night game, and you remember it poured down rain, and the big play, Dak hit Deronye Wilson for a touchdown just before the half. 
kind of the coming out party for Drew Locke in many respects. We win that game 31-13. And it was my first trip to Columbia, Missouri, to Como, as they call it. It's a much different deal. It didn't feel like an SEC environment. Maybe the, the rain had something to do with it. Maybe the Thursday night had something to do with it. But it felt more like a G5 atmosphere than what we're used to here in the SEC West. Uh, we get Alabama at home, just can't figure it out. 31-6 losers in that ball game. And uh, poor Rufus Warren and those guys in the offensive line got beat up pretty good that night. And so we head to Arkansas knowing that we're out of the race for the SEC West. But we need to win this ball game to kind of improve our bowl standing. That's the thing. You look at this thing. It's like, okay, we're not going to go 7-5 and five in Dak Prescott's senior year. That would have been an incredible indictment on Dan Mullen. And so we head to Arkansas with a lot to play for. Arkansas was a team that uh, was improving. You know, they were 6-4 and four on the year. At the time, we were 7-3. and three. And so if they had beaten us, they could have leapfrogged us in the bowl pecking order. And so this was one of those wild games, and it really felt like even at the half, we were in really good shape here. You know, we jump out to a 14-7 to lead in that ball game, and, and uh, let me run some of this down for you here pretty quick, just because I think it's important. Uh, they actually get up on a 7 nothing. Brandon Allen with a 20-yard touchdown pass to Drew Morgan. If you remember, too, Arkansas had these three tight end sets, right, with Hunter Henry. And so they would bunch those guys together, and really confuse the safeties. And uh, Brandon Bryant had a tough night that night. But um, we get down 7 nothing, but we respond. We go down you know, basically the next drive, and uh, we hit Brandon Holloway on a 38-yard pass, and he scores to tie the game. Weston Graves with the PAT there. We get the ball back. We go down, and we score again a 7-play, 65-yard drive to go up 14-7. Well, then you know, the fun was really just getting started. Arkansas responds with a touchdown pass to Jeremy Sprinkle to tie it at 14 apiece. We kick a field goal, and it kind of felt like at the time, it's like, oh, my gosh, we're having to kick a field goal. We're having difficulty stopping them. We don't want to get off schedule. But we get a stop defensively after that, and we hit Fred Fred Brown, excuse me, Fred Brown on a touchdown pass to push us out to a double-digit lead at 24-14. Late in the second quarter, we hit Fred Ross on that, and, and one of the better pictures of my career was a Fred Ross, that great one-handed catch, and then Fred makes everybody miss and goes 55 yards to touchdown, puts us up 31-14. And you think, okay, well, we're going to go into the lead, into the half with a 17-point lead. Well, we don't. We give up a late drive there, and Jared Cornelius hauls in a Brandon Allen pass. So it's 31-21, and we feel like we're okay. This is one of the coldest places I have been in my life at the time. It was absolutely ridiculous how cold it was. I think I've shared this story with you guys before. So I just kind of followed the other photographers. I'm going to try to find some warmth and try to find a restroom. And next thing I know, I'm basically in the Arkansas locker room. And I'm, I'm like, I don't need to be here. Let me get out of here. And the security guard says, no, it's okay. You can stay here and get warm. So I got to hear... Uh, you know, Brett Belima talk about his halftime speech with the team and how important it was for you seniors. You've never beaten Mississippi State. Chance for us to move ahead, you know, with, with our winning season, that sort of stuff. And so that's, as, an, as a fan of SEC football, it was really cool. So here we are thinking we've got a pretty good handle on this. Arkansas comes out and answers right away with a touchdown. Another pass from Brandon Allen and Jeremy Sprinkle makes it 31-28. 
And remember, we were up 31-14. Now, all of a sudden, they're within a field goal. They get the ball right back. We turn it over there and go down and score. 39-yard pass uh, to Hunter Henry makes it 35-31. Next thing you know, this thing is off the rails, right? Brandon Allen, another touchdown pass to Hunter Henry. Ended up being, a, I guess, a first-round pick by the Chargers, right? Now it's 42-31. So, basically, they have gone, what, 25 unanswered here? You know, we're up 31-17. Now we're down 42-31. to Well, Dak said, no, that's not how the thing's going to go. We drive down and we score Dak with the run to open the fourth quarter. We're within four points. We get a stop by the defense. Dak hits to Ronye Wilson, 10 yards, got rest his soul. We missed the extra point. Now it's 44 to 42. And you're thinking, you know what? We could have been in pretty good shape here. That extra point kind of looms large. Arkansas comes right back and scores late to go up 50 to 44. Now we're going to have to put a great drive together. We do. Dak hits Fred Ross for the 14-yard touchdown pass to put State up 51 to 50. But there was still a lot of drama left to unfold. It's 51 to 50, and you feel like, okay, we're in great shape. We just need to get a stop. And it wasn't going to be a situation where the clock was going to run out. We were going to have to go make a play. So Arkansas begins their drive at the 11. Devin Bell with a great kick that day. Dominic Reed decides to turn it out. Jamal Peters knifing down there, tackles him at the 11-yard line. Arkansas sets up shop there 11 with 3.05 to go. And again, we had not had much success with those guys in the second half. Brandon Allen complete to Jared Cornelius for 17 yards. Back to Hunter Henry for 16 yards. And again, they're just kind of getting chunk plays here, and we're starting to get really nervous because, again, we're clinging to a one-point lead. Next thing you know, it's a first and 10 completion to Drew Morgan for 13 yards. They're already out in their midfield. Then it's complete to Dominic Reed from our 43. Second and four at the 37. The clock is ticking, but my goodness, we're not going to be able to stop them. They get to our 19 after Brandon Allen hits Jared Cornelius. They beat Brandon Bryant there on a little bit of a uh, slip route there. So I guess it was kind of an option route, and Brandon had kind of been underneath. But now it's first and 10 at our 19. We call timeout to settle the defense with 58 seconds to go. Well, at this point, they're just going to run the football and try to run the clock down and kick a field goal, win the ball game, and get out of there easy. Cody Walker runs for two. We take another timeout, third and five at our 14. Then they run Alex Collins, Torrey Dale on the tackle. We t- take our final timeout. And now it's fourth and three at the Mississippi State 12. 46 seconds to go. They elect to attempt a 29-yard field goal. Beniquez Brown shared in postgame that he had seen something in film review about how they block on field goals, and they felt they could exploit it. And he said earlier in the ball game he nearly got one. Well, he knives through here, and he blocks the field goal, and we win the game. An incredible ball game, one of the best ball games that I have ever attended in my life. We end up running the clock out. Uh, Dak, of course, kneels on it. Uh, the clock runs out, and we celebrate there in Fayetteville. And I remember going to post game, and Megan Mullen was out there and um, yelling all down the hallway. And 
nobody really seemed to mind because we were all so happy that we had won this classic ball game. But she's yelling and screaming. We even get in the postgame. She continues to yell. Asked Dak Prescott in postgame, I said, if they had made the field goal, would you have been able to score? And he, he looked at me and grinned and said, yeah, they would not have stopped us. We would have found a way to score. But it was an incredible ball game. Let's look at some numbers from this game, too. Because at the end of the, at the, end of the weekend, when they got ready to announce the uh, SEC Players of the Week, Brandon Allen and Dak Prescott were co-offensive Players of the Week. That's how great the game was. Individually, Dak Prescott, 38 of 50 for 508 yards. Five touchdowns and one pick and was sacked twice. Brandon Allen, 30 of 43 for 406, seven touchdowns. You can see why both of those guys deserved uh, to be named. Of course, Dak wins a ball game. I'm sure Brandon Allen would trade the award for a ball game. Brandon Holloway, your leading rusher, 14 carries for 63 yards. Dak, of course, uh, uh, runs for 46. You know, it's pretty insane to think about the numbers, you know, for Dak in this ballgame. I mean, you know, we talked about over 500 yards, and he rushes for, for 46 more. I mean, you know, the guy personally accounted for, you know, 554 yards of offense. What a ridiculous day, you know, for a guy. Uh, Fred Ross with a huge day, 10 catches, 154 yards, a couple touchdowns. Brennan Holloway, four for 101. Deronye Wilson, 10 for 93. Yeah, we had a little bit of an option thing late with him and Donald Gray, if I remember correctly. Or maybe Fred. But either way, they had run – they decided to change positioning because we changed the look, and it was Bear himself that said, hey, why don't – let's stack it this way. And so we gave them a different look, and next thing you know – Fred's wide open. You know, it's pretty incredible. Bonique West Brown, 12 tackles. Richie Brown, uh, 10 tackles. Kevon Coleman, I got it. was kind of unheralded here at Mississippi State. Eight tackles for him. Zach Jackson, linebacker out of Heidelberg, with seven tackles. Tolando Cleveland uh, flipped to us from Georgia Tech. Five tackles for him. Tavez Calhoun, who led the celebration, uh, five total tackles, two pass breakups. Tavez Calhoun was kind of a Razorback killer, too. Brandon Bryant had kind of a tough night, but did have four tackles in a ball game. Uh, running down some of these names, many of you haven't heard in a long time. Chris Jones, three tackles, including the tag for loss. What's interesting, too, as well as, uh, as we were armed defensively, we didn't get a single sack in the ball game. And that was really one of the things that allowed them to stay in it. You know, they had the, the decent running game, but they had that massive offensive line that kind of allowed uh, – Allen a chance to kind of sit back there and kind of pitch and catch a little bit. So we really just never really got to them. Now, now offensively, on the running side of things, we did a great job there. We held them to 73 yards rushing. But when you can throw it as successful as they do, why would you ever pass, right? And so this is one of those classic games I think people will look back years from now and say, you know what, I'm so glad I got to see that. A pretty wild game that really made a difference for us in the season because then at this point we knew we weren't going to Liberty. Now, sadly – the next week, we lose to Ole Miss on senior day. And I'll never forget this. You know, Dak comes out, and it's like everybody's crying. You look at the sidelines. And Ole Miss was ready to kill us. They were absolutely ready to kill us. They were taunting our players and, uh, you know, making the little crying gestures and stuff. And uh, they set the tone early. And, of course, Dak had the big fumble early on. And then a pick six a little bit later in the ball game, And we just couldn't come back. I thought Chad Kelly killed us in that ball game. But, of course, we – we make the Belk Bowl, have a chance to um, to go out with a winning note. We go out there and play in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium against NC State. The game was never really in question. 
Dak rides off into the sunset. We pull him late, gets his ovation. Him and Nick have a little moment out there. Kind of the change, you know, the guard. Really glad they did it the way they did it. But uh, 2015, a good season for us. But I think in many respects, a lot of people felt that some of our, our expectations were unfulfilled. Some of that had to do with offensive line play. Uh, some of it had to do with turnovers that year. We just we were a team that were a little bit problematic at times uh, turning the football over. But uh, that's the game that I – when I think of 2015, that's the game that comes to mind for me is that win in Fayetteville and how crazy that was. And I remember talking to Bob Carscadden. Uh, I think it was our first time to play in Fayetteville in a long time. And he goes, you know, I kind of like this place. It's downright cozy. And it was. It was a lot of fun to be there and probably wouldn't have such fond remembrances if we had lost the ball game. But uh, Dak Prescott, Mississippi State winners and uh, really kind of changed the trajectory uh, of this season in many respects. Because if you lose that one, then you're, you're, you're basically ending the year on a three-game losing streak. And it's, it's difficult to say at the time. You know, we'd say, well, Ole Miss is a better team than us. You know, they were on that day. They absolutely were on that day. There's no question about it. Chad, we, we didn't lose that ball game. Ole Miss beat us. And you go back and look at the Arkansas game, you know, defensively we make a couple plays here and there. It's a different game. But the bottom line is, is we found a way to win. That's Beniquez Brown's shining moment. And he was a really good linebacker for Mississippi State. But when you mention the name Beniquez Brown, that's the play that comes up. It's him knifing through and blocking a field goal to save the day for Mississippi State. All right, that's going to do it for today. In case you don't know, I am leaving town here shortly, and I'm headed to Jackson. I will be at the Mistletoe Marketplace Gala tonight and be there all day on Thursday. So if you're looking for me to answer questions on the message board, I might be a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit tardy in those responses. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we get some breaks and I'll get caught up on the phone. But, I'll, again, Mistletoe Marketplace in Jackson with the fine folks from Campus Bookmart uh, tonight and then all day Thursday. And then Friday, of course, we'll come back, record the Friday show. We'll pick the weekend, and then we'll get ready to head to Fayetteville. We've had some good times in Fayetteville the last few years, have we, Bulldogs? I'm looking forward to another one. I told you guys I expect State to win the game, and I won't be the least bit surprised if we win it handily. But I just want a W. I just want to win. That's the good thing about the last couple of weeks is we've taken control of these ball games, and we've been able to kind of really enjoy the second half and not had a lot of anxiety. And so my hope is that continues because that would be a tremendous win for us. We talked about last week about how big the win would be over Kentucky because this fan base just kind of needed a moment to breathe. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay, okay, we're going to the bowl game again. Okay, we're going to the bowl game. We're good. Uh, We're not going to have a losing season in a regular season. And so you can kind of exhale a little bit. But a win this weekend, not only does it add to that, I think it really builds some excitement where it's like, okay, we're – we're actually got an opportunity to exceed expectations. I do expect to win the ball game. Uh, I, I really do. I think they're going to have a difficult time running the football against us. And I don't know that K.J. Jefferson is a guy that can beat us without the dual threat option. I think he is a guy that needs to be able to run to kind of set up the pass rather than the other way around. And I don't think all these wide receiver numbers are simply a product of a lack of talent. I think some of that is that K.J. Jefferson – it's just not really polished as a passer just yet. And in addition to that, Burks is the guy you trust. Got a great catch radius and takes ownership of the football when it's thrown in his direction. Uh, I don't know that you have that same level, you know, of, uh, of chemistry with other guys on the team. So he is an emerging quarterback. I do think he's going to do a good job for Arkansas. Kendall Browse will look to scheme us up early on. I just think the main thing for us is we got to get through that first quarter 
and not be down a couple of scores. We don't need to be chasing the ball game. Let's get off to a good start. Play clean. Don't turn the ball over. Limit some of these penalties. And it, and it reminds me, too, I don't want to chase this for long because we've got to get out of here. I looked up. I'd seen the pre-snap penalty complaint with Kentucky and Florida. Did you know that Florida had eight pre-snap penalties against Kentucky? Eight. I wonder what the, uh, the reason for that is, right? Mississippi State has a whole bunch. Kentucky has a whole bunch. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe that shotgun snap with the clap snap, maybe there's something to that. Just a just little word for, you know, a little food for thought there. All right, let's get out of here. Again, thanks so much for all your support. You can buy books at dogpiledbook.com. Encourage you to do so. And uh, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, as always, go to starkvillains.com. I'm going to get out of here. I'll see you guys soon. Hope to see some of your smiling faces in Jackson. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. Banking services debit card provided by Bancorp, Bank NIA, or Stride Bank NIA, members of FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.